0: Welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm so glad that you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And today we're going to jump right into the Minnesota Senate District 44 elections. And we have Philip Adam, who is the Minnesota Senate District 44 volunteer. He is one of the precinct chairs. We're going to have a great show. We're going to start off with a play in the segment. And then uh, the next three segments after that, we're going to have some wonderful people sharing about why they want to run for office and um, where they're running for office and all that good stuff but before we do that i'm going to have philip adam share with us what minnesota district 44 is all about
1: hi Lori. thank you for having me here today um, sd44 is a group of uh, cohesive citizens who enjoy each other's company as we work to elect candidates that believe in our vision that government can be good it's a we believe in a government that can empower its citizens where citizens give back to society as a natural response to being empowered. What citizens do? We believe in a government that protects its citizens, that provides public support for private success, whose policies are grounded in empathy and social responsibility, where our taxes are considered our investment of our wealth towards the betterment of our community, and a government that accelerates our transition to a zero-carbon economy because we love our nature, we love nature, our
0: kids, and our grandkids. Wonderful! Thank you so much, Philip. And I want to make mention of this play that we're going to be kicking off to start our show. The title is "Seeing Red, Feeling Blue." The playwright is Matthew A. Everett. The director is Elizabeth Horup. The performers are Lori Horvick, who plays Peggy, the mother, and Hava Ray Kurland, who plays Corey, the daughter. And with that, we'll start our play. Another video call? Special
2: occasion? Why so surprised? We do FaceTime. Not more than once a week. Not even a minute into the call before you should call me, Maura.
1: You're not calling to cousin Betsy me, are you? She called
2: you. Of course
1: she called me.
2: We're practically sisters. I didn't FaceTime cousin Betsy. Does her phone even do video? Well, not her landline, but... I called her cell. You really rattled her cage. I could tell she hadn't heard most of what I was saying before. They
1: only watch Fox and occasionally CNN when Fox gets them too agitated.
2: You know, Jean's heart is still a little iffy. They can only take so much. She was very worried about me before the call, apparently. Oh,
1: and after the call, she is worried for all sorts of new reasons.
2: She still thinks Minneapolis is on fire four months after the start of the protests. Well, Fox does show that
1: video of the same three buildings burning on a loop when they're not, always not showing Portland on fire or Kenosha.
2: Meanwhile, most of California, Oregon, Washington are engulfed in actual current wildfires and nobody bats an eye. That's because climate change is a hoax. <laughs> I wish I could be sure
1: you were kidding. Oh, please. You know I still believe in science. I'm not stupid. Okay, just checking. Uh, when you said, there's no such thing as Antifa, you kind of blew her mind.
2: I could tell. Also, it's short for anti-fascist, I would hope that we're all anti-fascist. Oh, yes, yeah, she repeated
1: that one to me, too. Did you have to bring up Black Lives Matter? She was the one who brought it up. No,
2: she said she didn't like feeling like she had to apologize for being white. And I reassured her that no one was asking her to do that. However, they might be asking her to help undo bad things done by other white people in the past. Oh, you couldn't let it lie. Well, she just kept blaming the protesters for burning buildings when the protests that no one plays on loop on TV are largely peaceful. And things only take a turn when men in uniform show up with tear gas, batons, rubber bullets, and military vehicles and start attacking people. The protesters just want police to stop killing black people in the street. That seems like a perfectly reasonable request. If no one listened to me for asking something like that, I'd be angry, too. Cousin Betsy really doesn't like burning buildings. You can rebuild a building. You can't rebuild a person. Burning a building isn't violence. Looting isn't violence. Injuring or killing a person is violence. You can replace things, but you can't replace people. Oh, so
1: you did call to Cousin Betsy me. No.
2: I thought we were just discussing a lively phone call with a beloved relative. So why did you call me? You can't vote for the orange guy again. I didn't vote for the orange guy the first time. You wrote in Pence's name for president instead. That doesn't help. Well, why do they have the right in line if you're not supposed to use it? It would be lovely if a discussion of our unwieldy two-party system was merely an academic exercise. Should we fix it? Yes. Would abolishing the electoral college be a good start? Sure. Would right choice voting also be useful? Absolutely. Can we do that before the election this time? Nope. These are the two choices from the two major parties that we're stuck with. Under the two century plus old antiquated system we inherited, these are the two options that stand a chance of winning. Wishing it weren't so, or that we have the luxury to screw around with our vote doesn't change our rather stark reality. And you're off to the races. So the simple fact of the matter is that if you write in a name or vote for a third-party candidate, you are handing a vote to the person you don't want to win, the orange guy. It's the Democrat or the Republican. One of them is going to win. If you don't want one of them to win, you have to vote for the other. Biden-Harris to get rid of Trump-Pence, and that applies to every race up and down the ballot.
1: Is this how you lobby people for their vote when you do phone banking?
2: No, I'm much nicer to strangers.
1: Oh, well, then pretend your mother is a stranger, please. (sighs) Okay.
2: What's important to you? What's
1: important to me?
2: Yeah. To live a decent, peaceful, happy life, what's important to you?
1: This feels like a
2: trick question. Nope. This is how I treat strangers. What would you like the government to do for you? What is the purpose of government?
1: Okay, now we're off topic.
2: No, we're voting for people to run the government. The government has a lot of influence over our lives and how we live. Voting is one of the ways we tell the government what we want it to do for us. After the election, it's phone calls, letters, emails, and yes, peaceful protests. So what's important to you? That's a very big question. Okay, why do you normally vote for Republicans? What do they stand for that you feel is important to have in leadership of the government?
1: No, now that really feels like a trick question.
2: There are no wrong answers in this conversation. Oh, don't lie to your mother. I never lie to my mother. Oh, you lied to me about being gay the first time I asked you. I wasn't ready to come out yet, and we are getting off topic. Oh, I thought there were no wrong answers. Do you really want to talk about my sex life right now? I feel like it might be easier. It'd be a short conversation. Nothing's happening right now.
1: (laughs) Well, if you weren't phone banking so much, you might have more time to date.
2: No one can leave their homes right now. There's a pandemic going on. I'm
1: aware of that, dear. I also know about phone sex.
2: I take it back. There are wrong answers.
1: Oh, God. This is a phone call. Do, Do people do phone sex over video calls?
2: You just put that together? But anyone could be watching. Anyone could be watching now. Anyone could be listening to a regular phone call. Hell, the one time I did it by text. That you, can, you can have phone sex by texting? You need to be a little ambidextrous, but yes, it's possible. Also, you can send pictures, so... Oh, you didn't. Send pictures of myself? No, I'm way too self-conscious. Oh, good. Though I can't say I minded when they sent me theirs. <gasps> Corey! Mom! We're off topic. We're, we were talking about Republicans. Gay Republicans? No. Because there are some you know. It's our dark, shameful secret that some of us are Republican. Stop
1: clowning. And talk to me about voting.
2: So you don't mind getting back to politics now? Not at the moment, no. I feel we've grown closer.
1: I've just always voted Republican.
2: Because?
1: Because that's what my parents did. And that's what your father and I did. Although last time he voted for Hillary, so... He did not. We did. Oh, I thought for sure he would have told you. He felt very impish and mischievous about it. Well, son of a gun, the old guy was full of surprises. So you see, we canceled each other out. He'd probably be voting for Biden-Harris if he was still with us. What do you think that is?
2: Well, you'd probably want a president who's not a sociopath, for starters. Always a plus. But you can't write in Pence this time. Because? Because you have a gay child, and Pence doesn't believe we're humans worthy of respect and love and equal rights. Oh, this single-issue voting thing. I am not an issue. I'm a person. It was the same thing in the primaries in 2016 when we were talking about Kasich. Kasich doesn't believe women are people. Uh, just because he's pro-life. It's not just the anti-choice stance. He's just generally condescending and dismissive of women. But shouldn't the abortion position be enough? Why is that one thing? I have a goddaughter. Well, I know. I've met her. She's only 11. Her bodily autonomy is not an issue. It's not up for discussion. No one gets to decide what she does with her body.
1: Oh, come back to me and tell me how you feel when she starts dating. So it's a values thing? Well, Republicans over the years have been more aligned with the Christian values I was raised on. And and the Democrats have always seemed more secular,
2: yes. So the things Jesus cared about, feeding the hungry. Yes healing the sick, sheltering the homeless, caring for the downtrodden, proclaiming release to the captives, looking after women and children and the elderly and the poor. Yes. Even before the pandemic, but even more so now, Democratic elected officials have supported policies that help people, where Republicans have fought to stop or roll back those policies. Such as? SNAP benefits, or what used to be called food stamps, the Affordable Care Act, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, uh, housing policy, criminal justice reform, the assault weapons ban, the Violence Against Women Act, money for public education, development of clean energy technology, public transportation, for starters. <sighs> the Republicans weren't always like this. I know. Democrats weren't always like they are now either. I know. Political movements evolve and change over time
1: used to be a, a good faith argument between two well-considered intelligent but opposing viewpoints about how government should operate.
2: but That's not what we're dealing with right now.
1: Oh no, I know. It's, it's very disappointing. The party I grew up voting for didn't just stand around saying no
2: to everything and then offering no useful alternatives. I wish it wasn't true, but I think it might be time to just clean house and get some new people who all want to work on solving problems.
1: Well, we certainly have plenty to choose from. Problems, I mean. I think we've got plenty of people to choose from, too. Government should be about, about working to make people's lives better. It should be doing the things we can't do ourselves. City, state, or federal level, there are just some things that are so big we need to do them collectively. Otherwise, what's a government good for? Exactly. It's not just tax cuts and judges. Oh, Lord, don't get me started on judges. Ah, oh, Sorry. You know I don't agree with this strategy, right? Yeah, I know. I think judges should be impartial and qualified and, you know,
2: have a functioning brain and a conscience... McConnell's rammed over 200 judicial nominees through the system in just three and a half years. There's only about 60 empty seats left to fill on the federal bench right now, and this Congress still has three months left this year.
1: Lifetime appointments, a lot of them.
2: God help us. Young, healthy, right-wing ideologues. Well, at least there's the other three quarters of the judiciary. For now. They're not going to live, for, they're not going to live forever.
1: Oh, now I'm thinking of Scalia and Ginsburg hanging out in the afterlife.
2: Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and who knows what's next for the Supreme Court, eh? Hmm. Oh,
1: I, I've got a question about the district court and Court of Appeals state judges on my ballot. You got a sample ballot? I know how to find Minnesota Secretary of State's website. I'm so proud. Ugh. I'm looking at 29 Minnesota state judges who we actually get to vote on and they're all running completely unopposed. Who are they? Good question. Shouldn't there be some healthy
2: competition? You would think. They should all at least have a website. Well, some do. Not all. Well, there's no one running against them. What do they need a website for?
1: (laughs) Well, that's not very transparent and accessible.
2: No, it's not.
1: I mean, how do I know I don't want to run against some of them myself?
2: An issue for another election. (laughs) I guess. There are blogs and other local news coverage of the court online, you know. Some people have a judicial fixation, so they're a good resource. And the state has to have some information posted somewhere. Uh, I guess it's time to do
1: a little digging. Maybe that will be my new side project.
2: Well, maybe I'll start a blog. That's how I found info on city council and school board candidates during the primaries. There's always someone working a specific news beat. You just have to go looking. I can send you some links. Do, great. If all else fails. I know, just type what I'm looking for into a search engine. And vet the results. Don't just take things at face value without checking. Who raised you? Okay, okay, you're right. You don't need me nearly, you don't, you don't need nearly as much help as I think you do. Thank you. Do you think we can flip the Senate? The best shot at it and the Democrats have had in six years, probably the best shot they will have for the next six years, too. Oh, bumping McConnell
1: into the minority would help a little bit. You don't think government has a purpose? It shouldn't be drawing a government paycheck. Or health care or pension. If you don't want to do the job... You shouldn't have the job. (laughs) Oh, thank God we have a month and a half of early voting in Minnesota. I can avoid
2: the election day crowds. I'd feel more comfortable if you voted by mail. I'll be careful, I promise. I've already lost one parent
1: recently. Oh, I'm in no hurry to join your father.
2: Don't worry. I worry every time you leave the house. Hell, I worry every time I leave the house. Mask up. And it's fall,
1: so it's glove season anyway. Double protection. Just be careful. I will. You too. Oh, I suppose if we ever want to leave the house again on a regular basis, we probably need to have a government that's interested in solving the problem of the pandemic, huh? That'd be a start, yes. Oh, it'd be nice to see your face in person again without the need for a mask.
2: Yep, that would be nice.
1: Plus the economy's tied to the virus. The economy could also use some help, yes. Ah, imagine going to a concert. Or a play
2: or a restaurant. Oh, just even shopping. It is possible. Other countries did it. Almost every other country but ours did it.
1: Nope. 1,000 Americans dying every day from just that
2: one virus shouldn't be normal. 40,000 new cases a day shouldn't be normal. Hmm.
1: Hard not to become numb to all the bad news, huh? Yep. And we should probably get some people on the whole climate change thing. Biden Harris, 2020. Keep Minnesota cold. <laughs> Whoever thought we'd be rooting for that, eh? <laughs> Oh, racial justice and equity, that'd also be a good thing
2: to have, finally. One of these days, we'll get a fully functioning government debating two reasoned opposing philosophies of governing again, hashing out the big problems, constantly pushing, however slowly, for a better world for us all. Hmm, you think I'll live
1: long enough to see it happen? You better. (sighs) Be nice to Cousin Betsy. Don't give up on her. I won't. She was a teacher for years, you know. I know. Still got a functioning brain. She reads a lot. And she's got a good heart. Keep working on her. You might just get through to her. You think? Got through to me, didn't you? This is true. Now take a break. Stop calling people about politics and find someone to have phone sex with.
0: Mom! Uh, Love you. Bye. What a wonderful play. We're so appreciative of the artistic support for Minnesota SD44. And the next three segments will have Ann Johnson-Stewart, who is running for Minnesota Senator from SD44. We've got Jenny Cleavorn who will follow up, and she's uh, running for state representative in Plymouth Forty Four A. And we'll also have Patty Aikum close our show, and she's uh, with she's running for Minnesota House SD Forty Four B. We're looking forward to having you stay with us. It's going to be a great show. Thanks so much for being with us today. We're glad that you're supporting the good people of Minnesota. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Lori Fitz, and today we like to talk about ideas that matter, and I'm glad you joined the conversation and made the connection. We are talking today about the Minnesota Senate District 44 races, and we have Philip Adam, who is an SD44, one of the precinct chairs, who's joining me as a co-host today. Hi. Welcome, Philip. We're so glad you're here. And our first interview is going to be with Anne Johnson-Stewart, who's running for the Minnesota Senator for the District 44 Communities of Minnetonka, Plymouth, Woodland. And how are you today, Anne? Hi, Lori. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I'm excited about having this chance to get to know you. So the first question everyone always wants to know is, why are you running? So share with us. Why is it important for you to run for Senate?
3: Well, I am... <laughs> I'm plenty busy, but I think right now we really need people like me to stand up and speak out for things we care about. So I'm a civil engineer. I care a lot about our roads and bridges and water systems. And I know um, from a assessment by the American Society of Civil Engineers that was done last year that in Minnesota specifically, and frankly everywhere else, our infrastructure is in bad shape. Uh, That made me start to wonder who is really advocating for our water and air and all that stuff at the Capitol. And I found out there's no civil engineers that are in either house. Mm. So I really started to think about it. Um, Add to that the fact that I'm a really heavy-duty public school advocate, and I see less and less funding being made available to our public schools. My parents were public school teachers. So I've been familiar with that topic for 56 years. And then, um, you know, climate change and global warming. I'm an environmental engineer, actually, and so that has got me literally hot under the collar. And then lastly, we had two um, major mass shootings on the same day last summer. Just when I was kind of stirring and thinking about this, uh, we had... Uh, on one day in August, a shooting in El Paso and one in Dayton, Ohio, and I realized the next day, after just being outraged, that we had not done anything at the state and local level to curb gun violence, that if people like me don't stand up and say no more, nothing's going to happen. So I decided that very day that I'm going to run, and I have never regretted it since.
0: Well, we're glad that you did, and we're glad that you are. So tell me about those priorities, those big priorities that when you take on the Senate role. Well, you know, if you'd asked me
3: this in September, I'd have to, oh my gosh, last September, I'd have to have a different answer. And my priorities initially were just like I said they were infrastructure and maintaining our roads and bridges, making sure that we had, you know, adequate funding for public schools making sure that we address climate change. But right now, the answer is different. It's balancing the budget because Mm -hmm. we're coming out of COVID. We've seen huge increase in unemployment, people losing their health care, people losing their jobs and um, potentially losing their homes. So we've got to balance the budget, which is our highest priority. Uh, We've got to make sure that people who lost their health care and their insurance get it back. We've got to make sure that our schools, which are really hurting right now, um, because of the extra, you know, requirements for doing both online and in-person learning and teaching, I mean, that's significant. We've got to take care of our teachers and our schools. And, and that's just, those are the things that have really emerged in the last year. We also have to take care of, um, at least starting the conversation on racial bias and, how can we address some of our police challenges? So today's answer is very different than what I would have said a year ago, but this, the issues are still there. So mm-hmm. we have a – got a lot to do when uh, we go back, when we go into session in January.
0: So it sounds like the priorities have expanded. Uh, they're all still yeah, important, they- and, but yet we, yep. we have a crisis at hand that, that needs to be addressed. And, and we
3: certainly do. It's going to take creative and empathetic and caring people to come up with a solution that works for not everybody, but the majority of people. You know, there's, it's a hard issue. And it's a complex issue, and we need complex thinkers in there. So there's no more you're either against COVID or you're for it. I mean, yeah. that's a ridiculous compar- – you know, you can't right. draw polarity like that. The reality is we are in COVID. So then how do we – Keep people safe, keep them in their houses, balance the budget, all these other things. It's not an easy black or white issue. So, as our no issues are easy, I guess you would say too.
0: And I know another issue that's been top of mind uh, in state's conversation a lot has been um, the bonding bill. So, tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that.
3: Ah, uh, well, I'm an engineer. We need that bonding money, not not just for me as an engineer, but it's important. There is one like three or $4 billion worth of really, really critical infrastructure projects that are included in that bonding bill. They've been agreed to by all three um, parties in the bonding, the House, the Senate, and the Governor. They are not just about civil infrastructure. This is about things like veterans' homes and low-income housing and parks and flooding, And there's $300 million just for clean water improvements. And if we don't get a bonding bill, none of that work is going to happen. So that's problem one. But the second problem or the second opportunity with a bonding bill is $1.4 billion gets sent out and spent throughout the state on things like wages and equipment and materials and per diem and hotels and just all of that money get spent here in Minnesota, which I think would really help us get out of our, our um, re- not recession, but out of our, you know, we've got a lot of problems. And then the third thing that's great for bonding is it puts people back to work. So, And construction jobs are good, family-supporting, house-buying jobs. So I am very passionate about a bonding bill, and I really think we need to pass one. Um, we've lost our opportunity to get work done this year, but I, I really hope in the next few months we get a bonding bill, and if not, I will push hard for one when we get back to the legislature in January.
0: Well, Anne, thank you so much for your time today. I have to say it was uh, a delight to have such clear and straightforward and important information provided in in such a lovely way. And we're going to wish you the very best with your election. We're going to keep our fingers crossed and get out the vote. I also want to throw out that DFL SD44 is a wonderful place. And um, if you would like to donate or support SD44, you can go to DFL dflsd44.org and uh, consider supporting um, the good work that they're doing and the good people that they're supporting like Ann. And again, thank you. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We're talking about the Senate District 44 in Minnesota. We're having all sorts of great folks that are uh, campaigning in their districts to um, to run for a variety of uh, opportunities. We have Ginny Cleavorn as part of our segment today. She's running for the state representative in Plymouth 44A. Welcome, Ginny. How are you today?
4: I'm great. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be with you today and to be with Philip and to Represent our
0: community. Absolutely. I'm so glad you introduced him. I was just about to. Um, my co host today is Philip Adam, and he is an SD44 volunteer and he's one of the present chairs. Hi. Hello, Phil. How are you?
1: Doing well. How are you?
0: Well, Jimmy, you've got a wonderful background, uh, a perfect background, I think, for. Uh, being a state representative, you're a professional mediator. Uh, and I think that's always good to have. Uh, you're an expert in conflict resolution. You unseated a six-term GOP incumbent to become a DFL majority maker in 2018. You serve as vice chair of the state government finance and you're on the Ag and Food Committee, Long-Term Care Subcommittee of the Health and Human Services as well as Higher Education Committee. So we're glad that you're here to share about what things are important to you. And I know one of the things that's important to you is being passionate about redistricting. Share with me why that's so important.
4: Well, our vote uh, is the most important right that we have um, to be able to say what we like and dislike about what's happening in our government and to have each of those votes count equally is just critical to the strength of our democracy. And so to make sure that we have fair maps and a fair process to um, know what our congressional districts will look like and our Senate districts will look like, it's just really critical to have people who are committed to fair maps and fair process.
0: And right now, do you, do you see a challenge in our voting or a challenge or a, a disparity in some way um, with the district as it is right now?
4: Soda has actually um, has a pretty good track record. Um, In the last uh, drawing of maps, the court uh, they were deemed to be too partisan, and so once again, the courts took the maps and drew them for us. The problem with that uh, process is there wasn't uh, citizen engagement in the process, and the other piece about that is that. When the courts draw them, they don't always take the maps to zero. Mm-hmm. And so we, in the redistricting bill that um, I drafted and led, uh, House File 1605, it was important to me that we start with clean maps, have a citizen's voice, and then make sure that we truly had equal representation for each person.
0: Well, that's good to know uh, and I'm glad that you have a passion and a support um, for doing that because I know that there's um, a lot going on with the census and looking at where things are all going to shake out. So I, I am excited about you having uh, – playing a leadership role with that. Mm-hmm. You also feel very strongly about uh, the Forever Green initiative and I'd, I'd like you to tell us and tell our listeners why it's important to Minnesota.
4: Well, you know, oftentimes we talk in Minnesota, we hear a lot of people talking about the urban rural divide. And when I look at the Forever Green Initiative, I just think this is a win win for our state. It really is about making sure that we are protecting our natural resources across the state, but also providing economic opportunities for Minnesota's farmers as they, you know, are producing new sources of food or feed. Or high-value biomaterials uh, without interfering with, you know, our standard uh, production crop systems, like um, well, our, I'll just say our commodity crops. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also improves the vital resources that we have, our water and our land and our biodiversity. And our, our hunters really enjoy it as well. But when you are looking at our agronomic uh, community, farmers need something something extra. And the summer crops that we plant are great, but it doesn't allow them to have an opportunity to also utilize their land in the harsh winter months that we have. And so by providing these cover crops, it allows the farmers to have use of their land to produce another economic opportunity during those harsh winter months. So I I see it as a win-win and it protects our Water, our waterways and streams from pesticides run off as well.
0: I also want to make sure that you have some time to talk about long-term care. Um, It's really important right now as we're dealing with the pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. So related to that, um, why were you initially drawn to this? Because you were drawn to it before the COVID, but of course COVID-19 has impacted it.
4: That's correct. Um, We um, have learned that... Uh, There are many problems with our long-term care. While we have some really great providers, most families in Minnesota would be surprised to know that um, assisted living and memory care facilities are not licensed by the state of Minnesota. Therefore, there was no uh, avenue for oversight uh, to come in and make sure that there was good infection control and things like that. Uh, in 2019, we did pass uh, a bill to begin the process of uh, licensing our uh, long-term care and our memory care facilities. And what the piece of legislation that I'm carrying now is really a comprehensive bill to make sure that we have the infection control that we need, that uh, hospice and assisted living bills of rights are established. And making sure that our consumers have some sort of protection while receiving assisted living services. And that when we're talking about procedures of transferring patients who may or may not have had COVID during this peacetime emergency, they're protected. We also have to look at things like termination of services um, and retaliation that sometimes happens uh, to our seniors and their families when they come into conflict with the long-term care providers. do you want to be really clear? Um, we do have some of really the great long-term care providers in our state, and I don't want to paint everyone with a broad brush, but when bad things do happen, we want to make sure that there are protections, but more importantly, we want to prevent the bad things from happening in the first place.
0: And with the COVID-19, I'd be remiss not to um, mention that I know that you want to say some good things uh, to honor our president during this difficult time.
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the President and the First Lady are involved in public service. And with anyone involved in public service, we always wish them the very best. And we want to make sure that we wish him, a, his family, a speedy recovery. And COVID is something that affects so many of our families. And this is just a really important reminder to all of us to wear our masks, to social distance, wash our hands. And when possible, we need to stay home. But I do wish the president and the first lady a definite speedy recovery.
0: And a, a recognition that as we're talking that long-term care has been the area that has gotten the most impact. And um, we need to keep working on ways to make sure we keep everyone, both the, faci- both the long-term care facility and the individuals that are there, safe and cared for.
4: That is absolutely correct. And humans are social beings, so we do need to make sure that we make those phone calls, reach out to our neighbors safely, and then um, look for the good health of our state to return. Absolutely. Thank
0: you so much for all of your good thoughts and and educating us on issues that are important. And we so appreciate that you're taking a leadership role.
4: Thank you very much for this opportunity, and it was good to be with you and Philip today. Absolutely. Take care.
3: Bye now. Bye bye.
0: Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and today we have my co-host Philip Adam from the Senate District 44, who is the pre- one of the precinct chairs. Welcome, Philip. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Good to be here. And for our our last guest of the our show, we have Patty Aikum. And she is um, with the Minnesota House SD44B. Welcome, Patty. Well, thank you, Lori and Philip, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, we're so glad you are. You're a longtime resident of the House District 44B. And as I understand it, that includes Minnetonka, Plymouth, and Woodland.
5: Yeah, it does. You know, I was born and raised in Minnetonka and graduated from Hopkins High School back in that last century that seems to have gone by really quickly. Uh-huh. Um And when my kids were born, we came back for my kids to go to school in this area, too. It's a great place to grow up and a great place to raise your kids. Uh, It's a community I care deeply about.
0: Well, I feel the same way. I I didn't grow up here, but my family's originally here. And I came back to the university and felt that this was home and and haven't left since. Just love it here. So tell me about your top priority uh, going into the legislature. Well, I will
5: say right now it's hard to um, not pri- prioritize uh, the state's response to COVID-19. And, I mean, I think that that really runs the gamut from our response in, in health care and education and in our ability to help and support small businesses. And all of those things are incredibly important, and in, are the state's role in supporting them is important. I will say with my, my background is in natural resource management and so really my priority that has remained um, in spite of the challenging year that we've had in 2020 is around climate change and our, our state's response to climate change and, and in the lack of a national leadership role, um, it's really up to the state to, to lead the way on this issue. I think that especially youth of our um, of, of today are demanding that we be paying attention in the Minnesota House. Um, I'm proud to be the chair of the Climate Action Caucus, and it's um, made up of uh, over 50 legislators um, within the Minnesota House um, from all throughout the state, and it's really with the hope of um, we're all working together with the hope of. Um, Making sure that we're responding to the climate crisis and it's, you know, really from healthcare care again to transportation and energy production. And we just really need to be doing a better job of uh, making sure we're leaving the planet um, for the future generations the way it was left, left for us.
0: I know my Connections radio audience has been enjoying getting to know the various candidates and getting to know what you've done and what you want to do. Tell us about some of your accomplishments that you've had since uh, your election 2018.
5: Yeah, I think that what I would say I'm most proud of is really the development of the Climate Action Caucus, and it's not something that we've had here in Minnesota before. And being chair of that has allowed me to Um, kind of set a path on on what we're doing and so with throughout the last year we held a series of meetings and hearings and they were really intended to be Educational in nature for legislators as well as as the community and we looked at our um, climate issues with um, through the lens of um, Environment and and healthcare and transportation as I stated before and the intention of all of this work was really to come forward with a climate action plan and so we are in the process of developing our climate action plan that will be rolled out a little bit later this fall. I think that um, with all that's happened in our state this year, not only with COVID, but with um, some of the um, the cultural unrest um, that's happened with the the result of uh, that is a result of George Floyd's death. Um, it's been important that as we develop this climate action plan, that we're really looking through the lens of equity as we approach our um, action with around climate and making sure we're looking at those um, communities that have been disadvantaged and that we're focusing our efforts and actions there first.
0: You know, that makes me think about it, it, we really are in a divisive period and we've got racial injustice and we've got people who don't necessarily believe in climate change. And, and it, it, we've got a lot of things that can be very upsetting. What gives you hope um, and motivation to do something and to help make a difference in serving our community?
5: You know, Laurie, it's a great question. And I will say that what gives me hope is when I'm talking with people in our community, which I do regularly. I had some great conversations with people on the phone just last evening. And, as I talk to them, and we may approach issues in, in a different way, but ultimately we want the same things, and we want a community that's safe, that we can feel safe living in and raising our children and um, that provides a good education and that gives us opportunities, and that is opportunities that are equitable for all of us. And so I think really what gives me hope is that those are things that we all want, and if we all are working towards those same goals, but I, I, I truly believe we're going to find a way to get there working together.
0: Patty, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having your insight and your time and getting to know you and your priorities. I also want to do a shout-out to dflsd44.org. It's a great website to go to. Uh, support these wonderful candidates. Uh, even if you're not in their area, consider donating and supporting the good work that they are doing to make a difference, not only in their specific district, but for all of Minnesota. So, again, that website is S D 44 Thanks so much, Patty, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And thank you, Phil. We're glad you're here. Thank you.